I kept giving him verbal commands. I noticed his hand in his pocket and I was uncomfortable with his hand in his pocket, you know, but I still didn't, you know, think anything of it. It's like, you know what? I want his hand out of his pocket. So get you, me, order him to get his hand out of his pocket. And I kept doing that and he still wouldn't listen to anything I said. And then when I got close enough to him, he pulled the gun out and shot at me eight times and hit me three times. Hey guys, don't forget to check out the Street Cop Training Conference April 23rd through the 28th, 2023 at the Gaylord Opryland Resort and Convention Center. It's going to be a great experience. Five career-changing days. Some of the most profound speakers in the industry. Guest speakers include Rob O'Neill, the guy who killed Bin Laden, Kyle Carpenter, the youngest living Congressional Medal of Honor winner, Fox News host Tommy Lahren, Navy SEAL American War hero Jason Redman, Sheriff David Clark, Sheriff Mark Lamb, and Sheriff Wayne Ivey. You'll also spend time with all of our Street Cop instructors at this event Monday through Friday. We'll have a great lineup of courses in addition to our great speakers. It will be a week that you will not forget. You'll be thankful you came. You don't want to miss out. Check out streetcop.com on how to register. If you're going to use the room code, make sure you book it from Sunday through Friday. That's what the code's good for, and it's about half the price of the regular rate. But those rooms are running out, so make sure you sign up now. We'll see you there. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benito. We are right after Christmas, and you know, fortunately enough, we have a guy today who was involved in a in the line of duty shooting. I watched the video. I've seen it before I even met you. I remember this video. It's a fucked up video. But the first thing I got to say off the top of my head is I'm actually impressed of how you recovered from it. We'll talk more about that as we go on, but... Without further ado, Quincy Smith, and why don't you give us the two-minute version of who you are, where you're from, how you ended up in law enforcement, all that shit. All right. My name is Quincy Smith. Um, I'm 32 years old, man. I'm from South Carolina, a small town called Hampton. Um, everybody's pretty much familiar with, like, Beaufort County and Beaufort, South Carolina, Hilton Head and Savannah, Georgia. I'm around that area, you know. So, um, I'm, like I said, I'm from a small town Um end up graduating, going to college in Kane University in Union, New Jersey. Um, I, <laughs> I got in a law enforcement, you know, because I guess my mother, you know, well, just a, it's more like a family business, I guess you could say. Uh, my mom, she was NYPD. Um, she still is a police officer now. She's a lieutenant for the Department of Veteran Affairs in Durham, North Carolina. Um, and my uncle, he's an assistant chief in a neighboring town in my hometown. My aunts were dispatchers and, you know, just pretty much been, you know, all in the family of <laughs> me growing up. So um, I interned for the New Jersey State Police and that kind of pushed me a lot, being a lot to be in an um, officer even more. So that's pretty much where I, how I ended up. And I, once I graduated from college, I went back to my hometown and became a police officer for the University of South Carolina in Beaufort as a campus police officer and worked there for a few years and transferred to Essel, South Carolina. Worked there for a few years. And now I currently work at Matthews Police Department in North Carolina. All right, let's go back a little bit here. So your mom is NYPD. You grew up in North Carolina. Your parents aren't together, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I grew up in South Carolina. So yeah, my okay, mom- You grew up in South Carolina. Your parents aren't together. Um, your mom's NYPD, dude. Like, Tell me some like more of that story. Yeah, she was on the transit 
bureau task force. So she worked plain clothes in the subways and stuff like that. So, you know, um, she worked there. She started in 2003, 2004 as NYPD. And she worked there until 2013, 2012, something like that. And uh, that's when she uh, left, left there and went to the VA hospital police department. Okay, wait, let's go back even further. Your mom and dad, your mom's from where? My mom's from South Carolina, from the same time. You know? Okay, your father, same thing. Yeah, same time, same time. Yeah, How the from- fuck did your mother end up up here now? <laughs> so my, uh, she met my stepmom and you know they've been together for a while. And, you know, she, I guess she got an opportunity up there. And, like, yeah, that's how she ended up there. Now, don't get me wrong. My, so my, my mom, when she was younger, they actually lived in Jersey for a while. My, um, my um, grandmother, she was kind of from Jersey and stuff like that. So, and then they moved down once they met my grandfather. So they still had ties back and forth between New Jersey and South Carolina. Yeah, dude, like, we got to, like, unpack this a little bit. It's confusing the shit out of me. And then you came up here. <laughs> For college, did you come, did you choose college up here so you could be close to your mother? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, had a few choices. Um, I was either gonna stay in South Carolina or go up there. And I, yeah, I was like, you know what? I've never really been out of the state like that. I mean, I go up to Jersey and visit during the summertime and stuff when I was younger. Um, but I was like, you know what? I like Jersey. You know, it'd be something different. Let me let me just go up there. You know, so. Went up there and I, I enjoyed it. Enjoyed my college time and all that stuff up there. Now, selfishly, being from New Jersey, I got to ask you this question: Like, what did you like the most about New Jersey? And then I'll also throw in there, what didn't you like about New Jersey? <laughs> so, the things that I did like, you know, I actually like the culture, man. And you know, see, I come from a small town next to nothing. We had to drive at least forty minutes to go do something, you know. So, um, just the fact that everything was close by, you know. And just the whole culture and the vibe, the music. I, I had an interest in the music, you know, the little Jersey club stuff, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, just. What were um, your spots, dude? Tell me about your spots. I do. I mean, so I'm I'm Jersey, brother. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm so, the I mean, fucking Jersey as it comes. <laughs> I mean, um, I know when I was in college, my friends, we used to go, like, to New York, go to, like, Webster Hall and stuff like that. And go down to Elizabeth to the little, I guess, little bars and stuff down there in Elizabeth and stuff like that. So, yeah. I know what bars you're talking about. Don't bullshit well, me. Well, mangoes, I know exactly what bars you're talking about. Mangoes. Uh, yeah, dude, I know. I, listen, <laughs> I, I remember something. I grew up in Woodbridge. Okay. Right? So I'm okay. Two towns down from Elizabeth. Yeah. I mean, most of my pursuits ended up in Elizabeth and Newark. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my mom, we stayed in South Bowenbrook, so. Oh, yeah, dude. Listen, I I, I lived in Metuchen. You know, I, I okay. was... I'm like literally 15 minutes away from there. So yeah, well, dude, like, tell me about the, what did, what more did you like about the culture too? Like, was it the people? Yeah. So I, I guess it was some of the people, you know, um, I, I would <laughs> say, yeah. Cause I, for me, like I said, I'm a country boy, you know, and I'm, I'm very big on respect and everything, you know, some people I met, they just straight up rude, you know? So that's one thing I didn't like about it, you know, like this the rudeness and the bluntness, you know. So like when I used to go down and like walk down the street or whatever, and you know, it's custom for us, you know, if we lock eyes with each other, you know, you nod your head and say hello or whatever, something like that, something simple to acknowledge that hey, we looking at each other, hey, how you doing? You know, people just like, oh, what are you doing that for? Like we don't do that up here. I'm like, well, that's just a, disrespectful, like. <laughs> 
<laughs> you look at if we locking eyes and looking at each other while I'm letting you pass or something like you say hey hello and thank you whatever you know so you know that's that's one of the things that's I didn't like you know in the traffic I hate traffic <laughs> how about the food did you like the food here oh yeah man um I man don't get don't don't judge me. I like the street food man I ain't gonna lie to you <laughs> Man, yeah, the hot it. dogs and stuff, man, they be great. Like, in the pizza, man, listen, I've never had great pizza until I went to New Jersey in New York area. Like, those were the best pizza. I think the best pizza I got was from North, too. Um, off near, it's a pizza shop. My mom used to stay near. Uh, we used to stay on um, North 13th Street or something like that in Newark. And it was a pizza shop right around the corner, man. I used to go there all the time to get pizza, man. Yeah, dude, we, the, the food. Listen, it's there's things I like about the South, the things I don't like about the South, and yeah. there's things about Jersey I like and things about Jersey I don't like, you know. Yeah. But for me, it is, it is home. Um, and I, yeah. people get confused, like they think there's this like pride thing with me being from here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not. Um, there's a lot of things that do suck here, but I got to tell you, the food, you can't, like, you know what I mean? Like, I oh, know yeah. the food's good. That's why I asked you that. Oh, yeah. And one thing, um, another thing I had is called paella. Oh yeah, Newark. Freak, yeah, yeah. I freaking love that man. Oh man, that was great. Oh yeah. Oh, dude, you like it's it's endless here. And you can't yeah. I travel the country nonstop. I I yeah. there have been some good places. Like I just had barbecue in St. Augustine. Oh, this place oh. was fucking legit. Dude, I've had barbecue in Texas and this place in St. Augustine. If you ever I don't know the name of it, they deserve props. Oh shit! It's a busy place. It's got yeah. four point eight star reviews, like thousands of them. There's a yeah. reason this shit was no fucking joke. Um, but there's no parking. It's right across from like a like a like a historic cemetery. Oh, if you're ever there in St. Augustine, you should eat that shit. It's really right. good. But <laughs> I, I could definitely do that, man. So your mom goes to the NYPD. What made her choose that? No, I, I never really asked her that. Why she wanted to be the police? I never, especially NYPD. Never. She just. Said, she just said, hey, uh, you know, she, we just had a talk one day and she said, yeah, I'm, a, I'm about to join the police academy in New York. What? Okay. <laughs> I was young too, so I didn't really, I was, I was in a, I was a freshman in high school. So I, okay. <laughs> you know, because I actually, before I became a cop, I actually wanted to be a, a I had two, two careers I want to pursue. I wanted to be a locomotive engineer for Amtrak. Or I want to be um, computer science. I want uh, computer science. I want to be a video game designer. So those are the two I was looking at. That's what I want to do. And then, yeah, I guess <laughs> when I got to college, you know, going to work with her, you know, meeting her on her lunch breaks and stuff, and hanging out in New York with her while she was working, and you know, seeing how she interact with people and stuff like that is. I was like, hmm, yeah, I think I might want to be the police. And then my grades weren't all that great as a computer science major, so. <laughs> So when I switched, when I switched um, um, majors, like I started making the dean's list. I'm like, so I was like, oh yeah. So this is pretty much my career right here. That's awesome, dude. That's really cool. It's a very interesting story. What did your father do? He was a, he wasn't a cop though, right? No, no, no. He um he just worked for the town and um in our hometown, you know, um for the community and stuff like that. It's awesome, dude. That's really cool shit. And then you got answer to dispatchers. You have siblings? Yeah, yeah. I have a sister. Um, they're they're nurses. Uh, at the, um, Shocker, right? Like, so, I, I would consider that to be pretty much the same. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody's in first response or something like that. My family. <laughs> that's interesting, dude. That's that's really cool. All right. Well, listen, um, we're here today because obviously I have a story to tell and to share, yeah. and I won't do it any any justice. So, how much time did you have on the job before this incident occurred? 
I had two years, yeah, about two years before it occurred, two years and six months. And how much training do you think you had up to this point to be able to handle a situation like this? Do you think it was adequate? I think I, I, it was adequate. You know, I, personally, I made some mistakes that day, man, you know, we, that we'll probably talk about along the way. So, you know, um, I think I had enough to, you know, do certain things, but my the resources that I have were were very slim to none. And like I said, we'll we'll talk about it and stuff. So, you know, I think if I had additional resources, you know, things probably would have been different. So tell me about it. What day? What happened? Was there anything weird in the air that night? Run me through what happened. All right. So um, New Year's Day, 2016. So where I work at, I work for I work for Esto, South Carolina. Now, Estill is a very, very small town. It's three square miles big. And we only had seven officers for the entire police department. So how we run, how we work shifts is two officers at night, one officer during the day. You know, and um, Monday through Friday, you know, the chief and the assistant chief will be in the office. So that day shift officer, he will be, you know, um, the uh, road officer's backup. You know, so, but on holidays and weekends, that day shift officer, he's pretty much the only officer in the entire town that he run out of town by himself, you know? So, um, so- You guys have like county support or anything like that? You like support from the county and- Yeah, so, uh, so here's the thing, like I said, um, the county, they only run two deputies for the entire county. So, uh, yeah, I know. (laughs) I know when I tell people that. It, yeah, it's they only have two deputies for the entire county on per shift or whatever. And then like of course they have during the day shift, they have their support and command staff and stuff that come out and do things or whatever. So um now there are neighboring towns. There's one town that's um it's like three miles away called the town of Gifford, but they're even smaller than Esso. They're like one square mile big and they only have three officers for the entire police department. So and they only work one officer per shift too as well. So Either the and high patrol, you know, they, they at that time I know they were like really short too, so they were having like two deputies work five counties. So it's it depends on yes, listen, I come from a rural desolate area, man. It's depends on what's going on, man. Sometimes you have people come through, like the church department, they'll come through, you know, state troopers, they'll come through sometimes, but it's not often that they come through there, but they do every once in a blue moon. So, um, but yeah, um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm that day shift officer. My shift is 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And, you know, when I got up that morning, you know, I said my prayer and, you know, got dressed for work and didn't feel any different. Everything felt normal. Went to work and, you know, talked with the night shift crew. They said everything was fine. It started raining a little bit. So most everybody went inside and you didn't have any issues. I was like, okay, cool. So my whole plan for that day was, you know what? I'm gonna take it easy. I'm very big on traffic. I love traffic enforcement. I'm on the traffic unit in Matthews right now. So um, um, that's what I usually do. What I say, you know what? Today I'm just gonna take it a little easy. I'm just gonna show presence and be more reactive. I'll stop a few cars and let everybody be seen that hey, I'm out here, you know. But I'm gonna take a more reactive approach. Today is New Year's, you know, and hopefully nothing too crazy will go on or whatever. So. Um, I check my reports, you know, things that I need to finish or uh, edit or whatever and update. I do that and then I go out and check property. So I 
check the property, make sure nobody vandalized anything or burglarized any homes or businesses. And then after that, I was going to, you know, like I said, do a little bit of traffic enforcement, write a few warnings and stuff. And like I said, just be seen. I'm sitting in an abandoned parking lot on the edge of town, on the south side of town. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm facing the liquor store and they um, uh, see a guy in a camouflage hunting suit. He comes out of the liquor store and he's walking towards me. And he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was just pretty much just walking. Now, there's nothing behind me but a few houses and the rest of it just trees and woods and country. You know, every house is spaced out every so every so far away at me. So, um, so I'm sitting there and um, listening to the radio. Um, an officer in the town of Gifford, which I say that only has you know one officer and three officers for the entire department. Um, she stops the car, and the person in the car was wanted by a different agency. So I was like, you know what? I, I'll go over the radio. I said, hey, do you need any help? Uh, she says, no, I got everything under control. I was like, you know what? Let me just go sit on the north side of town just in case anything breaks bad. I don't have to fly through town lights and sirens and risk an accident or something like that. Um, so I get, I get, I drive back on the highway. I get up on the highway and I'm heading towards the north side of town. I just happen to look in my rearview mirror. A guy that came from Flush Hunting, so he made it to where I was sitting at. And you know, I he started like looking over his shoulder, like checking to see where I was. And I had this this like this weird feeling like I'm glad I moved type feeling. But you know, I was like, I didn't think nothing of it. I just kept on going. So I get to the north side of town and I pull over and I'm waiting on the edge of town. The officer says from Gifford, she says she has a guy in custody. She's en route to the jail. I said, like, okay, cool. I can relax now. So so I'm sitting on the side of the road, just showing my presence. I'm on Facebook, Snapchat, you know, just, you know, social media, just doing stupid stuff, you know, watching videos and all of that. And, you know, my dispatch called me like 10 minutes later and says, hey, you know, we will have a guy in a camouflage hunting suit snatching um, stuff from people at the, at the liquor store. Now, initially I thought, okay, that don't sound right. Do you mean armed robbery? That, that, that was the first thing. I was thinking of like armed robbery. And I asked this, but I say, hey, uh, what was he doing again? And she and they replied, they caller stated that he was snatch trying to snatch groceries from people and stuff. So I'm like, okay, you know what? This is gonna be a bullshit call. He probably drunk, you know, not thinking this is the same guy that I saw earlier, you know. So I said he probably drunk or something like that, just want more alcohol or something. So I'm just gonna, if I can, I'm just gonna tell him, hey, listen, you gotta leave. They don't want you here or whatever. So um, my and the plan was to get his name and, you know, check him, make sure he ain't got no warrants and send him home. That was my whole idea for that whole situation. I didn't think about anything else. That was the whole idea. I, I, I go over to the liquor uh, store. I, I didn't see nobody in the front when I drove around. I circled around to the back. I see the guy that described standing off in a wooded area, talking to a guy in a red shirt. And uh, so I get out the car and go inside the, the liquor store to confirm that's the guy that they were talking about because people wear camouflage hunting suits all the time in that area. It's a big hunting area. So, you know, um, you, you frequently run across people dressed like that. So uh, I go inside the store, the lady runs up to me and she starts pointing at me and says, yeah, he's standing over there. He tried, to, he tried to snatch the man by the lick and the man jumped in the car and left. All right, so I go back to my car, uh, get, a, get in and I drive over to him and I get out of the car and I get, and tell him, say, hey man, you know, come here, let me talk to you. Uh, and he just pretty much ignores me and walks away. Now, one thing working in Estill, 
um, that's the norm. You know, that's what I, I'm used to that. You know, when people, when you want to talk to somebody, they pretty much like just ignore you like they don't hear you. But when you get close up on them and like put hands on them and say, hey, stop. Or, you know, hey, threaten them with the taser to stop. You know what I'm saying? They'll stop and be like, okay, what the fuck you want? You know? So that's what I was expecting. You know, once I get close up on him and grab his arm and say, hey, stop, you know, you're being detained, you're being detained or whatever. That's what I was expecting. So um, I just kept doing it. And I'm not thinking about anything but stopping, stopping him, getting his name, checking make sure he got no warrants, and send him home. That's the only thing I've kept thinking about, but it's just like he wouldn't stop. So I said, and in my mind, I'm going like, okay, eventually he's going to stop because this is how this, this is how this goes. I got complacent. I got used to that. So um, I kept giving him verbal commands. I noticed his hand in his pocket and I was uncomfortable with his hand in his pocket, you know, but I still didn't, you know, think anything of it. It's like, you know what? I want his hand out of his pocket. So get you, let me, let me order him to get his hand out of his pocket. And I kept doing that and he still wouldn't listen to anything I said. And then when I got close enough to him, he pulled the gun out and shot at me eight times and hit me three times. First shot hit me in the neck and it felt like something flipped me in my neck, but it was enough force to push me to the ground. But I, I, it happened so fast, I knew I got shot. I never saw a gun. I just heard the bang and I felt the pressure on my neck. And so at that time I started panicking. I'm like, oh shit, I need to get up, get back, get some cover and return fire. So I, I put I get up off the ground and I run back towards my patrol car because that was the only um, cover that I had. He drew me from um, my patrol car. So while I'm running back to my patrol car, I'm trying to tell dispatch, you know, shots fired. I need assistance. You know, um, my lapel might sit on my left shoulder. So I'm trying to reach for my left arm to let dispatch know. But my arm felt funny while I was running. And while I was running, I kind of glanced down at my left arm and the a bullet struck me in the arm and shattered my old man radial bone. So half of my arm was pointing towards the ground and half of my arm was lifted up towards the sky. So, uh, you know, I started panicking even there, like, you know, running back to my patrol car. So I, I tried to reach for my right arm to grab my lapel mic. Well, the bullet that struck me in the neck, it took a downward path into the right and it pretty much damaged all the nerves in my right arm. So I couldn't use that one either. I couldn't even lift that one up. So when I got back to my patrol car, I used my body weight to um, throw it up under the door handle and use my body weight to um, um, open the door and get inside the car and use the uh, radio inside my car. So that's pretty much what the details of that is. Before, when you were telling the story, before we go on to what happened next, you said I got complacent. Yep. I mean, your whole career, you probably heard as a recruit, don't get complacent. Complacency kills. Yep. What do you think caused cause your complacency? And, and how true is it that complacency does kill? Oh, 100% true. Um, so my complacency. So I, I started off as a, um, a campus police officer. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a campus police officer, but we don't get the same experience. Well, at least some places don't get the same experience where I worked at. You know, we don't deal with, you know, hardened criminals like, you know, you would. I always use this uh, analogy. I went from working Beverly Hills to working in Compton, you know, so I was, <laughs> it's, it's a major difference. The most I got to do on the college campus was, you know, just, you know, I get arrested, but mostly for like marijuana and, you know, alcohol violations and stuff like that, you know, and fights and stuff. But 
for the most part, you know, they're, they're kids, you know, you deal with kids versus, you know, when you work for a town or some other place other than that, you know, you're going to get like everything, you know, <laughs> you're going to get the hardened criminals, you know, you're going to get those people who don't care about life and want to cause you hurt harm or whatever. So, you know, I kind of took some, I guess, some bad habits from working there to Esto. And then I started incorporating the other bad habits and stuff that I started learning there. You know, it's like I said, as far as taking it lightly with people, you know, um, not trying to follow any of your commands, anything like that, you know, um, getting used to that way that, you know, hey, you know, if it's once I, you know, put hands on them or, you know, hey, you're going to get tased or whatever, expecting them to stop and not resist anymore, you know, I got used to that, you know, so that would say that's what caused my complacency, me getting that mindset, okay, they're not going to, they're not going to, they're not stupid here, they're not going to try that. Why are you apprehensive to deploy the taser when it was actively walking away and disregarding your commands? Okay. So one thing that happened when I pulled up behind him or whatever, a few things popped in my head. So the first thing was the way the call came out, you know, um, I was like, you know what? Well, there's no use for my, my fire, my weapon. He's, you know, the, the call came out, just snatching a bottle of liquor. So the next thing was, you know, um, when I, I don't know if y'all remember uh, a, a shooting that happened in North Charleston with a, uh, I think it's Officer Michael Slager shot the guy in the back. That happened like a couple months before, you know, um, the, my incident. So when I got in the car, that popped in my head real quick. I was like, ah, I'm not going to pull my weapon out for that because I don't want to be the next person, you know, on TV for shooting somebody in the back. So I, I, that's why that's why I thought about my taser. So I, I, when I drew my taser, you know, I get stuck in this oodle loop stage, like, you know, stop, stop, stop. Just trying to give him the opportunity to stop because like I said, I'm used to people um, working there. Like eventually they're going to stop. You give them that enough opportunity to show them that you're not playing, they'll stop eventually. So that's what I was, I was stuck on that oodle loop stage of, of, giving, of repet, repeating myself and it wasn't working. So he didn't stop, but he was certainly passive resistant. And if people are listening and don't understand this, the reason I ask this question is people have to understand in the use of force scale, it's not a continuum anymore. Uh, it was when I was starting one. That's what they called it, a continuum. Yeah. Uh, but in the use of force scale, passive resistance uh, is a place where if somebody's failing to follow your commands, you can now use some kind of force. Constructive is not working, mm -hmm. clearly. Uh, physical or mechanical force to be justified at this at this junction, yeah. um, and you could hear that you were apprehensive, wanted to draw your firearm, not thinking you'd be an officer-involved shooting, and two, anticipating that it would go the same way it went every other time mm -hmm. that you've done something like this. Yeah, and it's crazy, Quincy, because I'm here and I'm interviewing you, and I'm thankful that you're here. I'm sorry that what qualified you to be on this podcast was something that was very fucked up. <laughs> I wonder also if we ever had the opportunity to interview those who did not make it out of these situations, what they would tell you. Yeah. And, you know, we don't get to interview those people, unfortunately. I know. And, I know. You know, so so we you're you're the you're the best thing we have to try to dig into the education of what what did you do right? What did you do wrong? How can we learn from it? Yep. And and by the way, with not making fun of you, like this is just a conversation of. Quincy's oh, no. here to help you understand. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, by the way, I, I've never been in an officer-involved shooting. 
when I watched your video again and brush up for this, I was like, this motherfucker, you know, he, he's once, once it happened, you were on it, bro. Like, I got to tell you, my hat's off to you. The way you calmed down, I don't know what caused that. Maybe you can explain a little bit. What made you calm down after you were shot? So, man, listen, I can tell you, man, the grace of God, brother. So, um, once I, when I was in the, in the patrol car, you know, sitting there talking to dispatch, you know, like, I had like a flashback. And it took me back to my senior seminar class when I was in college. And for that class, I had to do research in the and the research was people's perception of police. So what I did for that research, I, I created a survey and um, I get people's perception of law enforcement before they watch a collage of videos that I um, created. And the collage of videos include videos from YouTube that good thing police did, bad things police did, and dangerous things they encountered, such as like getting shot, stabbed, and all that type of stuff. So when I was in that patrol car, one of those videos popped in my head and it stuck out to me is the Trooper Stone out of Tyler, Texas. You know, he had stopped the car and the people in the car had like alcohol and drugs and stuff like that. And he was about to make the arrest. Once he's about to make the arrest on the driver, the passenger opens the door and distracts Trooper Stone. And the, the guy he had under control or trying to get under control, he reached in his waistband and they both turned around and started shooting Trooper Stone. For whatever reason, that video popped in my head when I was sitting in that patrol car bleeding out. And something came over it and it said to me, it says, hey, slow your heart rate, control your breathing. I can't tell you uh, how that happened, why it came to me. All I think I say is the grace of God, man. It's, uh, the spirit was just speaking to me. And I did that. And I felt like that's the reason why I was able to calm down and you know do what I was able to do. Quincy, when I teach my programs, and I've said it publicly before on here, I'll say it on all social media platforms. I tell people, if you want to do yourself a good favor as a police officer, instead of watching Netflix this evening, instead of binge watching something on Hulu, you just proved my point, like literally in life. I tell them, go and take two or three hours and watch videos of cops being killed in the line of duty being significantly injured in the line of duty. So you can learn from it. And also, I think at the same time, this also gives you perspective of how dangerous this job is. And that's why I like having guys like you and girls who have been through similar things come on this podcast because people don't think it's going to happen to them. They need to hear it and know what to think about when it happens. So you might have a lot of formal training as far as like how to do self-medical stuff or what... But at least the training you got, which cost you nothing, just happened to be from a project you did in college. And you're just lucky that you picked that, dude. You know what I mean? Like it's so. So I want to tell everybody, like, please fucking go and and watch these videos and learn from them. I, you know, you watch them. I remember the first time watching videos. I'm like, OK, we see what happened. I, the first thing I was thinking is like, I'm not criticizing with the intention of like, I wouldn't do that. I'm like. Oh fuck! I better not do that. That's what I was looking at. Oh fuck! That's why we do things and we criticize stuff as instructors with the intention of preserving life. Believe me, brother, we don't think we're fucking better than anybody else. We just say, "Oh, we're seeing this. We better share it with people." And that's why you're here. You know, dude. Like, I'm I'm so thankful that you watched that video. Yeah, and you're able to control yourself down because you really got very calm. Yeah, like oh, like I said, I just. 
I, when I was screaming, I, I remember like when I was screaming dispatch, it just, it literally, and it happened so fast. It's, I want to say like in seconds, that whole video and came, and it came over me to control your heart rate, slow your breathing, you know, and it's like <sighs> dispatch, you know, help, like the suspect it took off, blah, 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 you know, like that's the only thing I can tell you, man. So you started doing self-assessment too. I've seen the video. You get out, you start looking to see where you're shot, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I thought I was shot in the vest and stuff. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So um, I knew I was shot in the neck, but I thought because I heard all the shots when even when I was running back to my patrol car, um, I thought I was shot like in more places other than the of the arm and the neck. So like I said, I, I tried to look around and see, but I didn't see anything else. I didn't honestly I didn't see too much blood, but it was on my hand or whatever. So um i did the self-assessment and then the, the civilian came over you know and pretty much uh, mr j Tompkins, he came over and pretty much helped me um and like i said he didn't know how to do too much of anything um no cpr or anything like that he was no medical professional so the only thing he was able to do just you know be comforting keep me calm and like i said i guess he did it. i asked him too so i said hey was i shot in the chest he's like no it's in your neck man I'm like, okay, so that, that the only two places, the arm and neck, that's the only place. That's you guys carry IFAC kits, tourniquets. Do you have medical training at all, self-assessment, self-care medical training? Well, unfortunately, no. I didn't have any of that training. The Esther being so small, man, like it's we, we really don't have too much of training um, opportunities to go to stuff like that, you know. Um, even if you try to, they're so small, like, Staffing is kind of hard to get the training because someone has to cover your shift. It's it's cash twenty two working for the the small towns. But you what? Listen, let me let me just ask you this, and I'm I'm going to be a dickhead here, That's fine. not to you, but just to the world because I have to call this shit out. And again, it's I say this all the time, it's to my detriment, but it's the only way things will change. So you went to a police academy. They didn't teach you anything about this in the police academy. Taught us oh, the basic stuff, but I, I mean, like I said, I didn't have no iPad kid. I didn't have none of that stuff. You know, they we still we had the training. You know, did you know how to? You know how to like self care yourself from a gunshot wound or a significant injury from the academy, or did you, they teach you just CPR? Um, just CPR. You know? That's what I'm saying, dude. And that's the point I'm making. I mean, you could. I'm not trying to. I'm trying to say this to academies of like, hey, directors of academies. Mm-hmm. How about we start getting some training in here that will actually save lives, yeah. not just the CPR. We can we can get CPR anywhere. We need to get these specialized trainings in. And I'm not somebody who's just bullshitting and yeah. saying this, talking out one side of my mouth and out of my ass. Like, that's what we do. We have training yeah. like that. So find the funding to get the police officers the things that they need in order to survive in the field. But I guarantee you, you know how to do fucking jogging and maybe even shining yeah. shoes and and yeah. uh, doing some push-ups, right? That's that's yeah. important. That saved you as you were shot in the line of duty, yeah. thinking you're probably going to fucking die here. The yeah. training you received is really important of the criminal statutes for five days by some district attorney or some shit. Right? Yeah. That's really, that's the most important stuff. I'm not saying yeah. these things aren't important, but when we design a training program for recruits, we really should be designing it from priorities. Yeah. Number one priority of law, of law enforcement as a whole is preservation of life. Yeah. That's it. That should be, we got to look at this and go, all right, let's talk about tactics and preservation of life. That should be the first thing. Nothing else. We'll get to the rest of this stuff later. This is the most oh, yeah. important stuff. So you have no IFAC kit. You have no training on it. You're shot in the neck. Did you think you were going to die? 
Hey guys, if you're enjoying the Street Cop Podcast, do us a favor and go give us a review on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Tell a friend. We don't charge anything for the episodes. We appreciate your support. Check us out on any social platform by putting into the search bar, Street Cop Training. Give us a follow. We have a lot of free content coming out every single day that you might not catch here on the podcast, and it's important for you to be able to do your job more professionally, and we also entertain you as well. You tell you, like, I, I didn't think I was going to make it in the, within the next few minutes, you know, like, um, cause it, at one point when, um, when I was outside of my car laying on the ground, um, I think you can hear, uh, hear it in the video too, that, um, I was like, um, tell them to hurry. I said, tell them to hurry up. I'm having, uh, it's hard to breathe. Like my chest, it started feeling like tight, you know? So I was like, okay, this, at, at this moment, I'm, I'm about to, I'm, I'm about to die soon. You know, it started to be, it started to get hard to breathe and stuff like that. So, Yeah. What were you thinking about when that uh, moment was coming that you were going to die? My family, like my, my, my mom, you know, my grandmother, my aunts, you know, everybody who's always who raised me and stuff like that has been there for me. And, you know, my girlfriend at the time, you know, like, like I'm, I'm, about, I'm literally about to leave them. And this is the, uh, this is the last thing that they're going to hear about from me and see, see, see on me, you know, so and then some of my family members came out there too. Two of my aunts, my cousins came out there, you know, um, and they said a prayer and stuff. And I'm like, this is the last image they're gonna see of me like this. And that's pretty much what I was thinking of me. Were you scared? I was I'm definitely scared, man. Like, you know, um, what I you know they, what was gonna be after this? Like, I'm dead, like what's gonna happen after this? Like, I don't know. <laughs> regrets you start thinking about the things you could have done and didn't do yeah. and relationships yeah. that you should have fixed oh yeah man all of that stuff man like you 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 tend to think of <laughs> your whole life like i said the life flash before your eyes your life really flash before your eyes man like you know am i a good person am i not a good per person like was i doing things right did i treat people correctly and stuff like that you know um all that all of that stuff man it comes into your head and it's a lot, man. It's a lot, especially in those last moments that you when you think that's your last moments and stuff, man. It's yeah, it, it's a big, especially emotionally, man. Like you know, you trying to you trying to hold on for life, man. But you just like it's it's just it, I I don't even know what to say. Like you trying to hold on for life, but it's not working. You know, like I said, it's all you just gotta pray. You know, get connected with that, get with a higher source, man, and. You know, try to be the best person you can, man, because you don't know when it's going to be your last moment. You really don't. Because I never I never would have thought, you know, I would have got shot, especially in the net working there, you know, in the town where I worked at. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was born and raised 10 miles over away the town next to it. And I have family there, too. Everybody in the town knew who I am. Everybody in the town knew who I was, knew who my family is, you know, and it's possibility um i see someone said uh he's he may be uh a, a distant relative <laughs> you know from my you know what i'm saying and my family went to school with his family so my aunts know who, know who everybody is so you know like it's it's crazy man when you were sitting there shot and we'll go on past this and what happened next but as you're thinking it's your last moments here on earth if you had any regrets what were they well for one i should have it, when it comes to that situation, I should, why you know why did I give him the, so many opportunities? Why did I give him so many chances? You know, 
um, I, I really failed myself in my training. That was one of the regrets sitting there. Like I got myself shot, you know, I really just, just got myself shot. I could have did this a different way. And two, you know what I'm saying? Like my family, like, you know, um, we was going through a tough time with my grandfather and some, and stuff, you know, he has some mental health conditions and issues and stuff like that. So, you know, and sometimes, you know, I would yell at him and, you know, get angry with him because, you know, and because his mental health condition is like, yo, like, I, I really could have been a better grandson. I really could have been a better person to, you know, anybody. If I ever been disrespectful to anybody, I really could have been a better, better person to that person. Like, you know, so that's 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 the regrets that I have. When I try to employ patience with my children, I have four. Um, I always show up with the right intention, but we're human beings, right? I mean, fatigue and, and and tough days can have its impact on you. Yeah. But anytime I find myself, and again, I'm not perfect, maybe acting a little out of character with my children, I'll say to myself, what would I do in this moment if I knew that I wouldn't see them tomorrow? You know, so that happened to you. You know, I think about that a lot. Like, how would I make these moments feel if I found out one of my kids, as morbid as it sounds, would be dead tomorrow? And that's when I just changed my perspective, dude. I try to really, really appreciate it. And, you know, one of the best compliments I receive, and this just ties back into you, and I'm trying to set an example for everybody, not bragging. I think people by now know that about me, is you, you got you to gotta appreciate things. You got you to gotta really be in the moment. And make sure that you're there for people. And you can really, it takes effort to be a good, nice person. It takes a lot of patience, but it's worth it. And I get the compliment all the time of like, hey, man, it's really clear that you try to be a really good dad. Like Everybody sees it. Everybody knows it. You're well known for it. And I'm proud of those moments. Oh, they don't, they don't change me, but I'm like, all right, I'm on the right course. People, even people say, I hear that. I heard, bro, I love hearing that. Like, that's my fucking favorite thing to hear is like, Yo, he's a great dad. Like, he's a great, that dude's a great dad. Uh, oh, so-and-so, I remember my neighbor, neighbor said it one day. She goes, yeah, Rich was talking to me. And she's like, man, Dennis is such a good dad. So that just translates to you being a good grandson, a good human being. And I, I want to encourage everybody to strive to be like that because you don't realize how much you're impacting in a positive note versus a negative note. And people really, really appreciate when somebody's, just great for them. And it takes effort. It takes a whole perspective shift and change. That really, you know, changed, you know, how I um, operate and how I am as with people too, as well. Um, so, cause I, I get the compliments now like Quincy, man, you're like, you're so like happy and energetic. And so why is that? Like I said, well, like you just said, man, what I experienced, man, I, I learned that I really got to appreciate life. Got to appreciate the small things, man. Just doing the little simple things with people and, you know, spending time, you know, one of my biggest thing is now, like, I just love spending time with my family and my friends, man. I really appreciate yeah. it. And, I, man, I, I would take that over anything. Like, you know, me and my friends, you know, I'm comfortable sitting in the house, you know, watching a movie and having a drink with them. You know what I'm saying? Versus going out to a club or something like that. And it, it's just like, you know, those private moments, man, we talk and we learn more about each other and connect with each other. And, you know, and we also, my, my, my best friend, one of my best friends, yeah, he, uh, he's, he's, he's done a lot of changing himself and spiritually and stuff like that. And he's been guiding me spiritually, man, you know, and stuff. So things like that, man, I'm, 
I, that's what I appreciate now. And it, it really did take that. I did take a lot of things for granted, you know, growing up and stuff like that, man. But now, like, I try to make sure family and friends are try to be my top priority now. As nuts as it sounds, I think we've already found some of the blessing in disguise here. Oh, yeah. On how it changed the path of how you're going to live the rest of your life. And, and dude, unfortunately for you, you had to be shot yeah. to realize that. It's fucked up to say. Yeah. Fortunately for me, I just needed to hear it from somebody else. And, and it spoke to my soul. I said, yeah. ooh, this is the kind of person I really want to be. Mm-hmm. And it takes effort, dude. You know, like you talk about spending time with people. Think about this. Sometimes we have family members that are 25, 30 minutes away. You see them once or twice a year. If you think about 25 or 30 minutes at times, really not that much. Fuck, my meditation sessions are 22 minutes. So when you make an effort to be in people's lives or even pick up the phone and, and say, hey, I care. How's things? Yeah. Sometimes people don't even expect it. You know, the profound feeling you'll receive from them or putting that effort in, it's, it's legit. I never understand that. You know what I mean? People are like, oh, so-and-so lives in Florida. I'm like, it's a fucking two-hour plane ride. Like, you, we can't yeah. knock this out every couple months. You know what I mean? Like, we can't just got get on a fuck. I get money's yeah. an issue for some people, but like, you know, man, like, if you got to fucking bite the bullet and fly spirit, to me, it's, I just told somebody this last night, I said, a distance is literally just something. It's how you see it. Yeah. You're seeing it to be a, a detriment, but yeah. you might want to see it as being a blessing that I get to escape and go see this person yeah. and not be bothered by my own life. And I can be with you on hundred percent completeness. And people have to recognize this stuff. Yeah. If they want to have a more fulfilled life, right? You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's this- wild. You got shot and found fulfillment. Fucking crazy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I know. Right. <laughs> For real, man. For real. It's, it's, it's wild, man. But some people, they, they have to go through certain things to get that. So, you know, I believe God does have a plan for each and every one of us, man. And we have to experience certain things that other people are not going to experience, man, to get it and to, you know, pass on his blessings to other people. Let's go back to the story. Now you're shot. You've asked for help. That's when the video cuts out. What happens next? The guy comes over. He's trying to help. He's comforting you. Who's the first one to show up? So the Mr. Jay Tompkins, he's the first guy to, uh, to show up. So he was, he's a carpenter. He was working on the grocery store's bathroom, you know, um, doing some remodeling and stuff like that. And he said, he just happened to go out to his truck to get a tool. He heard me trying to stop the guy, but you know, he just kept, you know, doing what he was doing. When he turned to walk back into the store, he heard the shots, you know, ring out. And then he said, when he turned around, he saw me running back to my patrol car and he said, it looked like I was acting funny. So he said, you know what? He told himself, he said, he's going to go over there to make sure things are being done right. He thought I had shot the guy or whatever. So, but unfortunately, when he pulled up, <laughs> I wasn't when I got shot and he was, you know, he was in shock. He didn't know what to do himself. So I think he was a little um, flustered himself. He was like, oh, he wasn't expecting this, you know? So he shows up and, you know, he tried to keep me calm and, you know, and helping me, you know, patrol my heart rate, keeping keep my mind focused on, you know, breathing and stuff like that. And then, you know, after he shows up, you know, so my two uh, cousins show up. Now, one thing, my family, they're very nosy. 
Wait, so nobody, another law enforcement, no EMS personnel shows up. Your fucking cousins show up? Yeah, two of my, two of my cousins show up. So my cousins, so like I said, the closest backup for me is 10 miles. Like I said, only two deputies for the entire county. And if they're on the north side of the county, it's going to take 30 minutes, lights and sirens to get to me, you know, at least. And the closest backup for me had just left to go to the jail to take that suspect that she had stopped. So no, now it's either it's Hampton PD, you know, that they're, they're 10 miles away, my hometown. So when the, uh, my family, they have a, a, a police scanner, so they hear all the radio traffic and stuff. Yeah, and so they usually, I usually go over there and eat with them, especially during the holidays and stop by and check on them, but yeah, uh, I didn't. And they started hearing all the radio traffic and they didn't know, they, they knew I was working, but they didn't think anything had happened to me. And they live at least about what, 2,000 yards from, you know, from the actual location. So they're not too far. So I guess, you know, they came and um, saw, saw me laying there. And that's when they started, you know, um, asking me questions. Who shot you? You know, uh, then they started saying the prayer and stuff over me. Fuck, dude. So and not too long ago after they showed up, like, that's when, you know, you can hear in the distance the um, background of the fire, the ambulance and the um, um, uh, Hampton police officer, Brad Jordan, he was the first one to show up and uh, render aid until the fire department they were not they weren't too they weren't too far behind the fire department ems show up you know Jesus one thing I how long did it take how, how long did it actually take for the other police officer to get there it got it, it had to take at least 10 10 to 12 minutes damn and how far is the how far is the closest hospital it's in it's in the town of hampton now for my injuries i wouldn't be i would, it would it's not no trauma center so i would have to go for a trauma center is either Charleston, South Carolina, or Savannah, Georgia, which they took me to Savannah, Georgia. Savannah How far is that from you guys. Savannah is fifty miles from us. Yeah, and yeah, but if you can get to that first hospital to stabilize you, that would be ideal, at least, right? Yeah, but I, I don't know. That's the nature of my injuries. It was like, no, fuck that. We we got to get him to a trauma center now. They were actually going to fly me out, but the uh, they it was they say it was bad weather. I don't remember it being bad weather. I don't remember it raining or anything like that. But apparently they couldn't they couldn't fly a chopper. So they just packed me in an ambulance and they drove me straight to Savannah, you know, nonstop. So is that typical that they'll go right across state lines to Savannah, Georgia? Uh I guess in this situation, I would say I'll say, yeah. Usually I know everybody, they, they, them to fly everybody to Charleston. But see, Charleston was a it's a farther distance in Savannah. So I guess this was the only option. Like they said, no, we taking him there. Like, you know, they made that call. I, I don't know what EMS protocol is, or whatever, but I know they, they were they were a blessing to me and got me there. I didn't care which hospital I got to, they got to a hospital. So okay, so so the, the next cop shows up, you see him, do you feel like a sense of relief? Like, oh fuck that. Oh guy. man, listen, when I started hearing the sirens in the in the distance, man, I I was so elated, man. Like I was, whew, I was like, okay. You know, my, my, my people are here, my boys are here, man. I'm about to get their care, man. They're about to, they about to do all the stuff they need to do, man. They're about to um, stop the bleeding and all of that. So, man, that, that, man, that feeling that somebody's right there, they're, they're coming. You hear they're coming, man. Like, ooh, man, just such a relief, man. You have no idea. Now, now he gets there. Does he have any medical trainees? Do you have any gear with him at all? Uh, 
I don't I don't know what Hampton go, training goes to. I don't. I'm, all I remember is he's like at first thing here. He said, "Quincy, you okay, Bubba?" I was like, "Yeah, man." He's like, "All right." So, um, he starts. He hey, hey, we got his vest off. They start taking my duty belt and start. I guess he starts seeing where all I was shot at too. So you know, he was he was checking me and making sure. And then not too long after he got there, like what forty seconds later, I think uh, fire department showed up and they took over for him. So. I know. How was the fire department? They were doing a good job. They're EMTs. Oh yeah, man, they phenomenal, man, phenomenal. Like I, I, I appreciate them so much, man. And every time I, I go back home, you know, I try to go visit them in the um, EMS base and all that stuff too. So yeah, though they, man, they're great people. They did a phenomenal job as far as everything, man. Asking me questions and you know they put the neck brace on me and you know everything. They, their training, they perform their training to perfection. I would say that. So you get loaded into the ambulance and now you're off. They stabilize you. Do you have paramedics there yet or no? Yeah. So um, paramedics, I think they showed up like right with the fire department too. So um, I can't, I can't remember exactly how it all transpired, but yeah, I know fire department got there. They put me on the, the back, the back brace and stuff like that. And um, then once they got all of that, and together, then I just remember them loading me into the ambulance. I didn't know when the ambulance pulled up. <laughs> I just know yeah, the fire guys got there. Next thing I know, I'm going to the, the, the um, ambulance. It's a 50 mile drive. They're, 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 I'm guessing they're probably doing the, at best 75 miles an hour, right? It's a hike, Most, half an hour, 40 minute drive, right? Oh, yeah, definitely, man. And you know what I'm saying? Once they got me in the ambulance, and I was, I, I ain't gonna tell you no lie, man. Like I said, I still had it, I still had the thought in my head, like, yo, I'm still probably gonna die, like, you know, I'm still, I'm, I'm still alive. And I, I was asking a paramedic. I was, I was looking up at him. I said, hey, "Man, tell me the truth. Am I, am I gonna make it?" But he was like, "Yeah, Chris, you're fine. Like, you're, you're stable. You're good." It's like, man, you lied to me, man. I got shot in the neck. I know he hit that major artery, man. Like, <laughs> so, you know, like, um, but yeah, that, that drive, it, it, it felt long. So you pull up, finally get to Savannah, Georgia. I'm, I'm assuming that they started escorting the ambulance with other police cars. Was they, is that what they were doing? I have no idea. I wasn't, I don't even, I'm assuming they did too, but I, I never, I never did ask that question. Um, but I'm pretty sure they did. You get to Savannah, uh, you get to, the, you get to the trauma center. You're I imagine hospital staff's ready for you. What happens next? So they took me in the room. I guess they did the scan to see what all my internal injuries are. And the next thing after, after that, they took me into, I guess the operating room and then like, that's all I remember. I just remember looking up at the white light in the operating room, and that was that. I, I don't I don't remember anything else after that. And then I think like later on that night, when I woke up, you know, I had family surrounding me in the in the um, in the hospital. Now what? How much time were you in the hospital? What was the injuries? What? what so tell me tell me about your injuries. Okay, so um, I was in the hospital for um, a week, and I had. Uh, a shattered left arm on their radio. My on their radio bone was shattered. So they had to put rods and stuff in my arm. Um, the bullet struck me in the neck. So it missed the major artery by millimeters, the doctor said, but it cut the vein that was right next to it, the low pressure vein. And he said, usually he had people die from that, even from that. But fortunately my vein had clotted immediately and it, and it, um, and it kept, and it wasn't a lot of blood. It kept the blood from coming out. And, you know, but when they started operating on me, that's when it started opening up and filling up with blood and everything. But they were able to stop and control the bleeding and, 
you know, patch me up. But yeah, so um, yeah, so the bullet it ended down. The bullet it is that it never actually um exited too. It so it hit me in the neck. It took a downward path and to the right, and it stopped literally just underneath the skin of my um shoulder blade. And all the doctor did, he numbed it up and just like made a small incision. It fell right out. Can you just tell everybody real quick? Because I think that police officers have this romantic idea that being shot is something that you can hang your hat on and brag about. You just tell everybody how much it sucks getting shot. Oh, fuck, man. Listen, I I do not want to go through that shit again. So the after being shot, man, the recovery, man, oh my God, it was it was so painful. So for one, my neck, it was, I had I had a, a tube literally stuck in my neck. It was hanging down because it I guess it pulled all the excess blood and stuff out like it, it was literally like a tube they had literally popped it in my neck like i had some type of you know people who um i guess had like throat cancer and stuff they had a little thing but it really was like a suction tube it pulled off like the blood and stuff that was inside my neck I had to have that there you know for, thank god it didn't affect me talking or anything like that you know what i'm saying so i had to deal with that and i had to drain that often the next thing was the nerve damage that was the, and that was the worst part about the whole recovery, man. The nerve damage I had, it was excruciating. I could not lay in a bed. I had to sleep in a hospital bed, you know, for a while. And they had to dope me up with morphine because I couldn't get rest. And then, you know, they only give you a certain amount of morphine to, to last for a certain period of time. And once that wear off, you can't get enough for a while. And after, while, you know, when you come off of that, Morphine, the reaction for me, I was extremely itchy. Like I had to scratch everywhere and I hated it, man. Like it was, man, like that. And like I said, so even when I got out of the hospital, I still had that nerve damage. So I couldn't lay in a bed. I couldn't lay in a bed later. I had to sit up in a chair and sleep. And sometimes I, I, had to, I stayed up for 24 hours because I never slept like that because I couldn't lay my back because of the nerve damage. I couldn't put no type of pressure on it. Like if you were to, it was so sensitive to the point that if you blew your breath on that area of my back, I would be in excruciating pain, literally. Like, wow. and then even using the bathroom, hated using the bathroom. Every time I used to go urinate or pee or whatever, I would have excruciating pain in, in that nerve damage area. You know what I'm saying? So that whole recovery, man, it, man, it was long process. It, it was painful, man. And wow. then um, my arm, you know, um, I didn't really have too much issues with my arm other than it was just broken, you know, shattered, and I'd had a cast on it. But the, the main issue for me was that nerve damage, and it took forever to regenerate. What kind of issues do you live with today physically? Brother, I can say that I'm truly blessed right now, man. I don't have too much issues. I know I have a little back pain here and there, but I guess that's from loving all that equipment. But for the most part, my arm is only is only um, I guess when it gets cold and stuff like that, you know, it, it start it gets a little painful here and there. But for the most part, man, man, I can say, man, I've been so blessed, man, and I haven't had many issues, you know, what I'm saying from all the extended injuries that I've had, man. Tell us about some of the, the mental struggles going through this, man. Listen, so it it, it went. 
first getting out of the hospital, you know, I, I went through some things, man, emotionally, man. I tell you, I, sometimes I sat on the side of the bed and I cried, man, like, you know, why, why, why did I have any shot? Like, if only he knew, I was just going to talk to him, you know, and send him home. Like, what, what did I do to deserve this? You know, um, like I had issues. I had nightmares. I had flashbacks. You know, I hate people um, coming in my personal space. Like I, I tend to find myself when, when I was out in public sometimes, you know, people that I know come up and talk to me, you know, and like, it, it, it'll be a little chilly or cold and they have their hands in this pocket. And I'm like, you know, can you take your hands out your pocket? You know, nothing, anything forced, but they, but they understood, they knew why, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, you know, just made me uncomfortable, man. Uh, I didn't, I, I didn't have, I didn't really have too many issues as far as, you know, I guess over jumpy. I wasn't too, I wasn't jumpy like that, but like, you know, I would be uncomfortable in certain situations and stuff like that. Now, I didn't, I didn't seclude myself from people, you know, I find that to be more helpful to me, be around more people and be, and to talk about my incident and stuff like that with people. But at first, you know, just that, you know, I had a, a flashbacks, man. I was angry. You know, I want to know why he did it. You know, if only he just knew, like I said, I was just going to talk to him and send him home, you know. And I, I was paranoid. I've been paranoid at times where, you know, I said, I don't want, I don't like going in certain situations and, you know, and stuff like that. So, yeah. Did you have an opportunity to speak with anybody? Like a mental health professional. So yeah, so I um, my job they did so I did have to see a um, a, a, a counsel counselor or whatever um, that was part of the requirements for me to come back to work and you know that was that helpful. But the biggest help that got to me was when I went to um, post critical incident seminars. I went to two of them. I went to one in Virginia and I went to one in North Carolina. Those were the biggest things I really felt helped me the biggest because I got to be around other officers who experienced something like that or gotten stabbed. And, you know, they they talked to me about how what they did to help their, you know, help help them get through their incident and their emotional and mental state and stuff like that. So, you know, talking with them, get to know them and their side and knowing that, dang, you know, I'm not the only person that's feeling these types of things. This person right here understands me. And hell, not even this person, that person too, and that person. You know what I'm saying? So just just getting other people's perspective who has who has dealt with what I dealt with, that really helped me a lot, man. Did you know that we have a group called the Street Cop Survivors Club? It's a Facebook group. Uh, no, I did not know that. Yeah. So, dude, I think when you're done here, join it. I think there's 137 members right now. OK. Uh, the price of entry is the one you've paid already. <laughs> we always joke with some of the top guys who are running it, like um, yeah. my friend Matt Zaleski. He was shot multiple times in the line of duty. I was on a phone mm -hmm. with him a couple of weeks ago, and I'm like, we don't really don't want any more people in the fucking group, right? But, like, <laughs> we know there's going to be. Like, we don't want people getting shot and coming into yeah, the group. Yeah, yeah. No, I get what you're saying. Now, Quincy, what I can tell you is that speaking to the men and women who are in that group who were all shot, they have said that this has been one of the most profound things they've ever found for them mentally. A lot of things they went through weren't fixing it. A lot of these guys found each other and girls, they found each other. And do they get together and they'll say nobody understands it like they understand it. We have monthly meetings. Um, if they have them, I try to jump in and just show my support, try to give direction. We're actually going to be doing at our conference in Nashville. They'll have a booth. 
And they're going to be doing some auctioning off of some items um, to raise money for the families and police officers who were shot and survived in the line of duty. You know, I always thought to myself, we can't do enough for everybody, but we're almost doing nothing for the men and women who were shot and survived and their lives were altered. So I, I'm certainly very compassionate to the people who have lost their lives. But I was also like, fuck, maybe I'll take my efforts and try to put it towards the guys and girls that are still here. Um, so they're really jumping on and they found a lot of solace and, and camaraderie with each other. So you should really join that, dude. If you okay. just do it, I'll, I'll approve you right away. I'm one of the admins there. Definitely. And, um, you know, dude, like, you know, the, people have some significant trauma in there, but everybody's, oh, yeah. bro, like when I think you're going to write to me later on and be like, yo, this was fucking great. Cause that's all I hear from these guys and girls and how it was conjured up was at our last conference uh, in October of 21, we honored 30 or 32. I forgot how many there were cops who were significantly injured in the line of duty and anybody else who had been passed away that were the partners or whatever it may be. And at the end, I took these guys and I'm like, Hey, listen, I got this fucking idea, right? Cause you guys all seem to have the same problem. You don't have to talk to, uh, you don't know how to get in touch with each other. I go, why don't we just start a Facebook group? And this way everybody has Facebook. You're all, and you guys can talk to each other and you can put stuff up and share your story and mm -hmm. dude, I'm so proud of it. Okay. Right. Like I'm, and I'm proud of them. It's not even me that I'm proud. Of. Like I'm just, I'm proud of them for showing up and, and hearing yeah. the feedback. So bro, I, it's free. It don't cost you nothing. And I, I wish I could do more and I'm trying to do more. And, you know, a lot of people say to me, you know what? He would have wanted you or she would have wanted you to keep doing what you're doing yeah. because it's things like this that prevent shit like this in the future. Yeah. You know, there's no doubt in my mind, we're keeping guys like you and the efforts. Everybody comes on this podcast and this company and all these people, we've kept names off the wall, dude. Yeah, you know, and that's yeah. like a fucking big goal. We want to keep yeah. names off the wall. Yeah, very. That's at a very minimum. That's what this company stands for: is less names on that wall, mm -hmm. and the next one is less cops going to prison. Yeah, um, yeah. you know. So there's, there's, that's the. Those are some of the top priorities here. I had a weird question: What caliber was that gun that he shot you with? Nine millimeter uh, ballpoint. All right. I guess. I guess this is kind of the elephant in the room now. Who the fuck was this guy and why the fuck did he do that? I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out to this day, man. He's not talking. He's not saying why he did it or anything like that, man. Like, like, like I said. Um, history? Like what's mental history? What the fuck? Mm -mm. No. um, The the sled agent who investigated, honestly, they believe it was a hit. They believe I was set up. It was That was the intention to, to draw me. He, I honestly, personally, remember when I told you I had that feeling, I'm, I'm glad I moved? He was walking towards me. Like I said, he wasn't doing anything wrong. But when I moved, I just had that feeling. I think he was going to shoot me while I was sitting in the car. Oh, and, fuck. You no, know, so in, think, in thinking about it, he kind of lured me back to that location because I'd already left him with the other side of town. He still stuck around and tried to snatch a bottle of liquor and stayed around there. You know, and then when I got there, you know, he was talking to a guy in a red shirt. Now the guy in a red shirt, you know, he he matter of fact, he got um he got arrested on some federal charges or something like that. So um, but yeah, he he was a known gangster disciple. So um, so yeah, like he in in looking at it, the big picture, it looked like he lured me back to the liquor store so he can do what he wanted to do. So 
that that's the idea what Slade was going with, but he couldn't prove it, of course. But that's the idea. So who snatched his ass up? What happened after that to him? Did they go track this motherfucker down? Yeah, so the a body camera, um, once they got that, they uh um I guess they downloaded it and got a picture and someone recognized this, they knew who it was. So they set up a a, a major like roadblock, man, like because it's only what four entrances in the town. You couldn't move into town without getting going through some type of police checkpoint. And, you know, I guess they end up getting a tip and he was hiding up under uh, uh, his uh, family member's house. So do they I'm assuming the South Carolina State Police were involved. I don't know. Did the FBI get involved? No, no FBI. But um, from what I was told, man, it was uh, over over 100 officers packed in that little three square mile town. So they had people They had officers even from Georgia came over. They had officers from Charleston and. Ain't, ain't nobody fucking playing, bro, right? And yeah, listen, they said, listen, they said they had everybody sled. They had the Department of Natural Resources officers out there. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, everybody came. And I, like I said, I'm just so grateful that everybody, you know, showed up the way they did for me, man. So they find out where he's at. He's hiding at somebody's mm-hmm. house. They deploy a SWAT team, I'm assuming, to go get him. He surrenders. Yeah, yeah, he surrenders. Then, you know, they, he went in peacefully. Didn't give a statement. Nope. He, he didn't talk to this day. Only thing, when we went to court, his lawyer argued his defense was that I provoked him to shoot me. What did he end up receiving as far as a sentence? 35 years. Yeah, 30 years for the attempted murder and five years for possession of a firearm during the commission of a violent crime. How do you feel about that sentence? I believe he still could have gotten more. Honestly, he still is just... Life, life without parole. Personally, I mean, because if you if you're willing to shoot a police officer in broad daylight in uniform, like that's that is some balls. And in that case, what how what kind of use is he to society? He's not. He doesn't need to be out. How old was he? So I was twenty six. I think he was twenty eight or twenty nine. So he, he's a possible possibility that at some point in your life, this man may be getting released from prison and back into society. Uh, on a different note, like um, I actually saw him, too. He uh, 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 appealing his conviction. So they, of course, you know, the victim's advocate, you know, for state psychologist sent me a, um, a letter saying he's appealing. So his lawyer pretty much was um, releasing himself from representing him because he's retired and so he had to find another one and so he 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 was appealing his conviction for, for whatever reason i don't even know why but you're caught on camera man <laughs> just go ahead and you might as well finish do the time you know I, I i didn't get into this before but i know that you had to see a therapist to go back to work and i understand all that shit um and you can you can decide whether or not we we edit this out of the podcast or not but I sense you might have some resolution to continue with and getting some answers. And I think that you would find some answers from somebody who could be trained uh, with significant trauma like this, who works with police officers. I think if you put some thought into it and deploy some humility, which I know you have a ton of it, um, boy, it might change your life even for the better, my friend. And I, I, I want to urge you, and I say this to a lot of the men and women who are in your shoes 
to to really try to seek somebody out, at least get five or 10 sessions in to see how you feel. You might be thankful at the end because I got to tell you, every time I say this to somebody, I usually get a text three, four months later, like, hey, man, you fucking recognize that? And I'm glad you said something because I didn't realize how fucked up I was. And now I'm on the real path to recovery. And I, I'm glad that you found the Lord and, you know, I found him before, but even found him more now. But that may not be enough. And that's why the Lord puts people like that into our lives. Uh, Rowan, I'm very open about, I see a therapist and I have different traumas. Um, and I don't do it with the, like I said, I'm not trying to downplay anybody's significant mental issues. Um, I, you know, for me, I'm just like, the writing was on the wall. I'm doing the talking about it. I might as well, maybe I should just go and run run through a few of these things. And I got to tell you, bro, I'm thankful I did it. I have no, I'm not humiliated by it. I can talk about it openly. Um, and the reason that I think I was put through things and you were put through things is to set an example of, hey man, if this happens to you, it's okay to go see somebody. So Man, if I, uh, you might be able to go in that group and find somebody in your state who says like, yo, I, I got this guy, he's 20 minutes away from you. He's a therapist, she's a therapist. They're excellent. I would I would highly implore you to do that. Oh, so I would say this, my department now where I'm at, man, they're very, they're big on stuff like that too. So um, they require us to, um, um, every year to speak to a counselor, you know? That's great. Um, so yeah, um, I, so I do that and stuff. And like I said, um, so that, that's been pretty good. And that's been pretty helpful and stuff like that. So every year, it's once a year, though, we can go more than if we want to. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes I do and sometimes, you know, I'm just like, okay, I'm good. But um, but for the most part, yeah, they do pay for us to go see a counselor at least, at least once a year. And we're required to do at least one session a year. So, yeah. I'm, I'm proud of your agency for doing that. That's very, that's very noble of them. Uh, not a lot of agencies are are following that path because yeah. I think sometimes when people don't experience mental health issues and they're the ones who make or break the decisions, yeah, uh, they don't understand and empathize of how significant it could be. Uh, and yeah. you know, sometimes you don't realize like once you start getting clarity, things like oh, I was doing weird shit, right? Like you just yeah. don't talk about some of the weird shit while you're doing the weird shit. You didn't yeah. know you were doing the weird shit. How has this changed your approach to policing? How do you police differently now? I mean, you left that agency, went to another agency. I'm guessing for whatever reason, you don't have to disclose it. Maybe it could be pay or better hours or a better opportunity, which is fine. <laughs> but now when you go to work, how do you how do you approach it differently? What do you what do you think about? And, and I'm going to just sprinkle this in. I don't want to pack on too much for this question, but what do you think about training as well? So my department, AC now, man, they are big on training, man. We got training almost every <laughs> every other three weeks, every two weeks or whatever. So they always come out with some type of training, you know. And this that's definitely changed how uh, I do I police, man. I definitely look try to look for specific things. Like I'm definitely, uh, for example, if I'm talking with somebody um, on the street, uh, just a you know public contact or whatever. They, a lot of, I see a lot of people, like I say, their hands in the pocket, and that's not something I appreciate, man. I try to, you know, use what they taught us in the academy, triangulating and, you know, having a partner and having them, you know, split the guy and all that type of stuff. You know, I try to really employ 
a lot of those tactics that they show us versus, like I said, what I used to do, just go up to somebody and talk to them, you know. Now, I still try to be personable with them, but I still try to, you know, without being too obvious, try to be, position myself tactically better, you know, and try to notice certain things that they're doing. And, and you know, if I notice something, hey, be, be quick on it, say, hey, listen, um, do me a favor, just don't do that for me or whatever. So, Definitely, I try, I try to be more tactful now. The last question I have for you is, what's your message for other police officers? If you didn't know this earlier, this podcast is uh, top 100 in the world. We have about 450,000 subscribers as of today, December 27, 2022. Um, I anticipate that that number will grow significantly. So what's one message you have for other cops after experiencing what you've experienced? My message is, for one, the biggest message is complacency, man. It will get you killed if I know people be telling people that, you know, and they preach it in academy, but take my word for it. I fell victim to it and I almost lost my life because of it. Don't be afraid to do your job. You know what I'm saying? If, if, you, if you have that feeling that, hey, this situation is not, not ideal, follow your gut. Follow your gut, because your gut is usually right, you know. Um, try to, try, you know, say, I ain't say you gotta be rude to anybody, be, be tactful, you know what I'm saying? Be kind of courteous, but when it's time to, you know, put hands on somebody and, you know, make sure, make sure you do it the right way and proper way. Just, you know, follow your gut, because, you know, that's, that's your instincts are what's gonna save you. You know, I, I had to, I, when I when I went through mine, like I said, I thought about some things that that kind of kept me from doing my job the proper way. Like I said, things popping in my head, such as, you know, the, the shooting that happened, man. Can't let that determine you. Think about it, but don't let it drive you to not do your job the right way. Don't let it scare you off from doing the proper things. Because it'll cost your life. And this is actually some of the things that have been brought up nationally. It's a topic of discussion. Is cops afraid? because of what they do. I mean, just recently there were a police officer, I'm not going into the details of it, I don't, I don't have enough knowledge on it, but a police officer, two cops in Washington, DC that were convicted for chasing a kid on a moped or a scooter or something like that, and the kid was killed and they charged a murder. So you're sending a direct message. And what irritates me about some of this stuff that's going on in the world, in, especially in some of these very liberally ran cities, is you're not considering the life of the police officer. It seems like they pick and choose whose life's important. And apparently, I don't know where this has gone, that somebody's so noble to do a job that is so profound and important and selfless is disregarded compared to somebody else who was not conforming to what the laws of, of society are. And it's uh, it's wild to me. I mean, it's not everywhere. Just so everybody knows, not everywhere. Cops are appreciated everywhere. But I I do the memes on Instagram and all that stuff because I am I I, I need you to be aware of what's especially in some of these um, cities. You know, if that if that incident occurred anywhere else, there probably would have been no issue. But stuff's driven by politics, and it's and it's a shame that politicians literally choose. Whose life matters? Exactly. 
I never did understood the concept, you know, like with a, you know, for example, officers, we get into a, a vehicle chase and the person we're chasing, like we stop, we're trying to stop them. They're not stopping. And then we're trying to apprehend them. And, you know, they go out and they end up crashing and hurting somebody else, killing somebody else. You know, I never understood the concept the police department can be sued because we chased them and caused the crash. Like, how is that? Like, they ran. They didn't. They should be held accountable for that, not the police department. So this is, I don't know, this is, like I said, politics, money, and, you know, just it drives this world today, man. And nobody really cares. Nobody wants to take responsibility for their own actions sometimes, man. It's, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. But again, if we see the world in a different way and, you know, just hop off the, the news and the, and the stuff, don't read any of this stuff for a week or two and maybe focus on the great things in your life, your children, your loved ones, your friends, maybe even the perspective of seeing your job and the work you're doing being very noble. You probably have a different feeling about life. You probably feel a lot more calm about things. I know when I first got to this, to this game, man, like, uh, I, I was that officer, man. I was excited. I was a rookie. I want to do everything. I want to be in the midst of everything, man. And then, you know, after having a conversation with my mother, you know what I'm saying? She'd tell me, listen, man, don't bring that stuff home. When you're off, you're off. Relax. You know what I'm saying? Be normal. Do normal things. And I'm like, yeah, my, I got this stuff, whatever. And my mom, you know what's crazy? Um, my mom told me this before, I think, what? I think this was after, but before, before my incident. And like I said, my mom, she policed in New York, man. And she said, she made a comment to me and I, and I never understood it until after my incident. She's like, Quincy, you know, you're in, the, you're in the job, you're in the game. Like, I know you're eager, you're rookie, but don't be in a rush to get killed. And I'm like, I'm not like, <laughs> I'm, I'm just doing my job. Like, you know, I'm trying to get drugs. I'm trying to get this, I'm trying to do that. And me and I guess she was like, you know, just sometimes just calm down. Like, you know, you're, e you're eager. You want you want things too much. Things will come to you in this in this job. Things will come to you without you even going trying to find it, you know. So I, I, I learned that, man. And, and she's been right, you know, after, you know, leading me to now, like, you know, just taking a step back, relax when you're off, you're off, have your private life, your separate life. But when you're at work, you know, do things proper. You know, um, follow your policies and state law and do things the right way. You know, just, you know, try not to get sucked into politics and all these things and stuff like that, man. Relax your mind because you need a break from this job. So that's one thing I would say that people definitely, man, when you're home, if you got, if you're at home, don't take work home. I know it's easier said than done, but, you know, try to find um, a, a balance on everything. I forgot to ask you this earlier. How did your mother react to all this? Oh, <laughs> you know, you know, she was, she, I would say she was ready to come down and handle business, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so she she had, she literally drove all the way from New Jersey to uh, South Carolina, man. And usually it's about a what a, a, a thir 12 or 13 hour ride. I think they said she made it a nine, eight or nine hours. <laughs> so you know, she, you know, she was very emotional, man, you know, because I'm her only, I'm her only child. So, you know, she, it, it hit her pretty hard. And I know she went through some mental stuff. I don't think she really talked with me about it. She hasn't talked with me about it, what she, what she was thinking and going through. All I know is like, 
she didn't know what she would do if she lost me or whatever. So, you know, but um, she, she behind the scenes without me knowing, I know she handled it really hard. I know she did, you know, but she, she's tough, man. She's always played that role of, you know, tough and not, nothing bothers her. But I, I know she, I know she went through some mental stuff too herself. You are a remarkable human being, my friend. And uh, it's been a pleasure meeting you. And I hope I continue to know you. And I'm thankful that you you survived and you're an example and keep sharing the lessons learned, dude. You know, any opportunity you can, anytime we can do anything for you here. Appreciate you so much, dude. And I, you know, we take this unfortunate incident and learn from it. And uh, your time today is valuable. I know that. And people are going to hear this and maybe even tonight on a shift after hearing this, be reminded of complacency kills, watch people's hands, start to train more. Think about having an IFAC kit. Think about having some medical training, going on YouTube, watching some videos. If you have no training on how to pack a wound medically, we have videos on how to pack a wound. You know, instead of buying a round of beers at the bar, buy a $30 tourniquet, you know, have that shit. Oh, they're not giving it to me. Buy it yourself, man. Ask for it for Christmas instead of getting uh, something else. So a lot of good stuff came out of today, man. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you having me. And I appreciate you letting me share. And, you know, that's why I do this, man. I want, I do want to help other officers. I do want to know, man, like, you no, know, like, please take care of yourselves out there, man. You know, so, yeah. Listen, bro, enjoy 2023. Yes, sir. You too. Anything you need to reach out, I'll text you my, I have your cell phone number. I'm text you yeah. um, my number as well, dude. Sounds good, brother. Appreciate you, man. Right, I'll see you, dude. Thank you so much. All right, brother. Thank you, man. I'll see you, dude. Guys, if you're in an area where you're trying to get to our classes, but we're not close to you, fret not. We actually have on-demand training at streetcop.com. You can take that course online right now, and then you could attend that training in the future at no additional cost. You can redeem your voucher. So you get two for the price of one. We don't want to deny you the ability to take this training now, especially knowing that it can keep you safe at a very minimum, putting bad guys in jail where they belong, and at the maximum going home to your family. Check out streetcop.com for that offer. Dispatch, Echo 7. I'll be out with that subject. Come here, man. Come here for a second. Come here. If you don't, you better stop. Or I would. Come here. Come here. Stop! I'm, I'm stop! Stop! Take your hands out your pocket! Take your hands out your pocket! If you don't stop, I'm gonna tase you. I'm I'm not playing you. Take your hands out your pocket! Take your hands out your pocket! Take your hands out your pocket! Shoot for you! Dude, shots fired!
I'm in! I'm enticing it! Dispatch! Hey, help! Hell, units, dispatch, or any beautiful units, dispatch, respond, stop station, stop station. Fire, gunshot, fire, subject, head on north, the officer, suspect. Dispatch, Echo 7, I'm hit. I'm hit. I'm hit in my neck someplace. Moms are broken. Help me, please. Go ahead, dispatch. Dispatch, I'm hurt pretty bad. Oh, we got help on the way. Is the subject still there? Subject, take off. Please help me, dispatch.